This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. Our scripture came from the gospel according to Mark, the 10th chapter, and the reading was from the 35th to the 40th verse, but I would like to lift up verse 38, which reads quite simply, But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? I'll read that part again. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Earlier this week, my brother sent me a cartoon that I found quite humorous. It showed a young man standing by a wishing well, and when he threw his coin into the wishing well, his wish was that he would be older and free from worry. His wish was that he would be older and free from worry. Just then, poof, his wish suddenly came true for a grave appeared where he once stood with his name on the headstone. The young man lay dead in a grave, which meant that his wish to be older and free from worry had in fact come true. Clearly this was not the outcome he anticipated or even wanted, I would say. But the fact of the matter is, while this cartoon is quite humorous, it makes the simple and very serious point that very often in life, we have all kinds of desires that we think will make our lives better. We hope and we wish for things like a bigger house or a fancier car, a better job, a spouse, or even a new spouse, more obedient children, longer life, you name it. The list goes on and on and on. We are constantly engaged in hoping and wishing for things that we believe will bring us peace, either through high achievement or contentment without any thought of what it might really entail or mean to have it. But brothers and sisters, be careful what you wish for. Not only are we spending time hoping and wishing for something different, in so doing, we're also spending time looking down on our current circumstances and our current situations. As a matter of fact, we are so focused on what it is that we want that we miss what's right in front of us all the time. Yeah, we want a certain looking wife and you want a certain looking husband and discount the relationship that might have been right in front of you all this time. Maybe we want a promotion on our job and so we cut corners and try to curry favors with our employer. But whatever the reasons are, the truth is we have no idea if what we are hoping and wishing for is in fact going to be able to satisfy our needs and our wants. In fact, I always like to say the grass is greener on the other side, but it's usually greenest around a cesspool. So what it comes down to is simply this, brothers and sisters, we really just don't know what we are asking for. And very often, what we end up getting is not what we had bargained for. It's the proverbial, be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. Now, you and I are not exempt 
from any of this. And we like to think that we know what's good for us and what's in our best interest. We like to think that we know what those things are. And we're especially living in a time where because we see so many things that do not seem to make any sense or things do not seem to be moving in the right direction, the temptation can be a need to want to take matters into our own hands. We want things to be a certain way. Sure, we see the chaos in leadership in the highest levels of of, of the government of the United States. We can see the gridlock. We, we see the distrust that has been leveled at some of our major institutions, who, by the way, who, by the way, are not without blame for how they have mishandled our sacred trust. We see police disrespecting our black men and black women with their callous double standards. We see all these things. We see the rich getting richer on the backs of the middle class and the poor. We even see billionaires spending millions to go up into the atmosphere for five minutes and come back down while we can't even find a penny to build and approve bridges and infrastructures and things that we need. We're seeing all of these things. Everything is laid bare right before us. And the tendency is to try to figure out how can we get ahead of all of this? How can I make this situation better for me and for my family? How can I escape? These many problems that we see make us want to try to fix and control what might be coming next. But the truth is, you and I have no idea what is coming next. We can't predict it. We don't know it. And we have to really realize that we need to rely on the providence of a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who sees and knows and understands our rising up and our laying down again. And brothers and sisters, just to make it quite plain, we don't know what we need, but he does. And so, it is with this thought in mind that I thought I would preach a message to all of us today. A message titled, quite simply, The Seat of Glory. In the context of the scripture that was read, The Seat of Glory. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are royalty. You are majesty. We bow before you today. And we look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we say, Spirit of the living God, speak now through this preacher. For those who are watching by way of live stream methodologies, and for those here in the sanctuary, speak a word, Lord, through the preacher, that they might hear you clearly. Speak, Lord, for your children are listening. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In our text, we have two brothers, James and John, who approach Jesus with a seemingly harmless request. They've asked Jesus to let one of them sit on his right and the other one to sit on his left when he comes into his glory. Now, we are first introduced to these two brothers, James and John, in the book of Mark, when Jesus had first called them to follow him. You remember James and John. They left everything. They left all their fishing business. They left their father, Zebedee. They left everything to follow this rabbi. James and John, along with Peter, ended up becoming Jesus' most inner circle people. Whenever Jesus was doing anything, James, John, and Peter were the ones that were always with Jesus. As a matter of fact, 
It is these three that would watch Jesus raise a little girl from the dead. It was these three that would see Jesus' miraculous transfiguration when he saw and met Elijah and Moses. These three, James, Peter, and John, they had an intimacy with Jesus that was different from the experiences of the other disciples. Now, when you read the text, it is very easy to mock them for what they've asked for Jesus, especially since Jesus had just finished telling them that he was going to be crucified and that he was going to die. But, but, but church, they had seen Jesus glorified. They had seen him speaking to Moses and Elijah. They had heard Jesus being honored by God. They, they have seen how he consistently refers to himself as the son of man. Is it any wonder? that they would want to be seated with him when he comes into his glory. We don't know how many people were with them at a time when Jesus was talking to them and when they made this request. But they knew soon enough that when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, there was no telling what might happen. You see, they knew that Jesus was coming to the end of his ministry. And for all that they had seen, for all that they understood about Jesus, they knew that they needed to get to him and ask him, can I be seated with you, one on your right and one on your left, when you come into your glory? Jesus' kingdom was imminent, and they wanted to make sure that their seats were secured. They wanted a front row seat. The front row seat is a metaphor for being in a position or in a place of honor, which would indicate your importance or even demonstrate your privilege or your prestige. Many biblical scholars, they've actually established that James and John, by making this request, were very interested in being elevated and exalted to the place of honor simply because of all the time they had spent with Jesus. It describes their arrogant request to have this position of authority and power because they recognized that Jesus really loved women and children. Jesus really cared for the poor. And they saw how Jesus dealt with those who had money and who had put their trust in all of their wealth. They knew this about Jesus. So they figured, listen, he's not going to do anything for those folks. But if we could just curry favor with him for just a little while. If we can just pretend or even present ourselves to him to let him see that we are just like him. We're not like them, God. So, so we have earned, we have spent all this time with you, Jesus. We have earned the right to be seated with you, one on your right, one on your left. Now, let's be honest, church. If I'm one of three people that Jesus calls whenever he's doing really important stuff. If, 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 you know, if, if you're the one that the pastor always wants to go with him wherever he's going. If I'm one of three people that Jesus calls whenever he's making a radical shift. If I'm one of those people that Jesus calls whenever he's engaged in a major miracle. Then of course my expectation is that when he gets into his glory. I deserve to be one of those with him. Can you hear the entitlement? 
Because of how I have served this church, I deserve to be seated on the front row. I have loved you, God. And oh, by the way, I know that there's a lot of people that love you too. But Jesus, you need to know that I love you more than these. So I need to be on your right or I need to be on your left. In fact, if you are giving me this place of honor on earth, of course you're going to give me a place of honor when you come into your glory. I want to be on your right, or I want to be on your left. But, but the challenge here, however, is not that the disciples were not worthy of this high honor. They probably are. We just sang through that you are royalty. You're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. The challenge here is that they don't know what they're asking for. See, see, now the front row is not only a metaphor for even wanting to be given this place of high esteem and honor. And I want you to track with me, church. It is also a metaphor for being a place that allows you to be able to experience everything and miss nothing. We call this driving shotgun. When you get into the car, you don't want to miss anything. You want to be in the front row so you can see everything. That's, you don't want to miss anything. You want an experience. Now, now. When I thought about this, it said to, I said to myself, why is that such a big deal, God? You see, the front row says I'm on your level. The front row says what you experience, I get to also experience. Now, now let me paint the picture for you, church. These people who walked with Jesus, they seen him heal the sick. They saw him open blind eyes. They saw him raise the dead. They saw Jesus do all of these things. But you know what was missing? They also saw how these people who had an experience and an encounter with Jesus, who experienced his glory in the majesty of how Jesus worked miraculously in, their, in those people's lives, but not in theirs. They saw when you, if you have been blind all your life, and now all of a sudden Jesus comes along, he touches you and your eyes are open and you see for the very first time you just had an encounter with the king. That's an experience that you cannot duplicate. That is something that has happened to you simply because you were touched by the master. Amen. So Here you have these three or even these two in this case, James and John. They walk with Jesus. They talk with Jesus. They see the works of Jesus. They see how people react and respond to Jesus. And that is not their experience. Brothers and sisters, let me make it plain. Be careful when your envy is for the glory that's meant for another. Be careful when what you want is not the master himself, but what the master can do for others. That you are missing. How crazy must it be. That you are walking with the king himself. You go with the king into his inner circle. Yet you are jealous and envious. Of someone that he blesses. The picture I'm painting for you is that. We can be really, really upset at these disciples. But I want you to see church. That they are craving for an experience of God's glory in a way that they have seen with others. So again, these disciples say, Master, 
When you come into your glory, can I be seated on your right and another one seated on your left? The problem is they don't know what they're asking for. Now, it's important for a few minutes to talk a little bit about what it means to be seated with Christ. The scriptures make several references to being seated, and I'd like to illustrate just a few. In the 110th Psalm, and the first verse, it says, it's a Psalm of David, and it says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. In Luke, the 22nd chapter, and the 69th verse, it says this, But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Finally, Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and the 12th verse. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, in each of these scriptures that I've just read for you, it spoke specifically about Jesus being the one that is seated at the right hand of God. Now, listen to these next two passages. Ephesians, the second chapter, and the sixth verse. Listen carefully, church. And God raised us with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? How about Revelation, the third chapter and the 21st verse? Those who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Did you hear that? The ones that God raises up with Christ will be seated with him and the one who conquers will be granted the right to sit with Christ and with his father on the throne. The one who conquers. Yet the scriptures tell us that we are what? More than conquerors through what? Christ who strengthens us. So the idea here, church, if you are staying with me, is that them asking to be seated with Christ is not a really big problem. It is something that we kind of expect as people of faith. He, you know, in his majesty, we are going to be seated with him. So pastor, why is it such a big problem that the disciples ask, can Jesus, can I sit on your right and can I be on your left when you come into your glory? I don't understand the problem. Well, Jesus told us. The problem is, you don't know what you are asking for. All throughout the scriptures, we hear about the glory of God and the glory of the Lord. The term is used in a variety of ways, and it is clear that the glory of the Lord refers to God's greatness. It refers to his honor. It refers to his beauty. It refers to his power, and it refers to him as light. In every case, the glory of God acknowledges the supreme strength and our need to serve and acknowledge him. But let's look carefully again at what Jesus says in his discussion with James and John. Verse 35, church, you got to stay with me. James and John, here's what it says, verse 35. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. 
Hmm? And then Jesus says to them, what do you want me to do for you? Remember that these are the same two brothers who have seen the magnificent things that Jesus had done. They've seen him turn water into wine. They've seen him open blind eyes. They've seen him heal the sick, as I said. They've seen him cleanse lepers by touching them and not touching them. They've seen him even, yes, raise the dead. So as far as they were concerned, they've seen enough of Jesus to conclude that the glory of the Lord is expressed in his greatness, in his honor, in his beauty, in his power, and in his light. They have seen what we have described as the glory of God. So, so in coming to Jesus, they were not looking for the things that they've already seen. They're looking for an opportunity to experience his greatness, his honor, his beauty, his power, and his light. They want to experience it for themselves. Listen to me carefully, church. If you had an encounter with Christ healing your body, you have experienced his glory. If you had an encounter with Christ and you've overcome some kind of addiction, you have experienced his glory. If you had an encounter with Christ healing you of even some of your worst memories, you have had an experience with Christ. If you had encountered Jesus Christ saving your very soul, you have had an experience of his glory. James and John in following Christ, saw what he had done for others, watched it, and they were saying, Lord, this is what we want. He says, listen, you don't know what you're asking for. So grant us, they say. May we sit on your right and one on your left, Jesus, when you come into your glory, please? So one wants to be on his right. One wants to be on his left, in his glory. In his glory? What do you mean, in his glory? One wants to be on Jesus' right, and one wants to be on Jesus' left, they said. That's what the text said. When you come, Jesus, into your glory. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or even to be baptized with the baptism which, which I am baptized? Why would Jesus ask them such a question? Well, he asked them the question because they really do not know what they're asking. The cup that Jesus is going to drink from and the baptism with which he's going to be baptized is referring to his death on the cross. That much is clear. We can all understand that. We can all figure that out. That much is clear. But then let's not stop there. The text then said, they said to him, we're able. We are able, Jesus, to do that. <laughs> Jesus then said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink. And you shall be baptized with the baptism 
with which I have been baptized. This means for every single one of us in this church, every single one of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, if you have confessed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on Calvary's cross, then I'm telling you that you are also drinking the cup of which he has drunk and you're also being baptized with the baptism with which he was baptized. So what Jesus was really telling the disciples is that the very thing that you and I enjoy today, he's saying, children, James, John, you're going to eventually get there. You're going to be saved, and you're going to have communion with me. Jesus is making that clear. But he goes a step further, and he says, But to sit on my right or to sit on my left is not mine to give, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. Now, if you've been following me, church, so far, I'm like, the question I have is, who then is on his right and on his left? And for whom has these places been prepared by his father? That he said it's not his to give. <laughs> well, all throughout this message, I said to you, sounded probably like a broken record. I've been telling you, be careful what you ask for. All throughout this message, I've been telling you that James and John really did not know what they were asking for. And all throughout this message, we see clearly in the text, Jesus says to the disciples directly, you do not know what you are asking for. So the simple answer is that when James and John approached Jesus and said to Jesus, grant that one of us may sit on your right and other may be on your left, when you come into your glory, they were asking Jesus, can I or we become one of the thieves on the cross? Did you hear that? Jesus, grant that when you come into your glory, that I can be on your right and one of us on your left. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Because the fact of the matter is, when Jesus came into his glory, what you all need to know is that the glory of Jesus is the cross. And so their request to be on his left and on his right was really about them not recognizing and understanding that they are asking for something that was not Jesus's to give. The right and the left of Jesus in his glory was prepared for the two thieves who would be used to magnify the glory of the Lord. For, 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 for Jesus Christ to pardon a sinner at the hour of his death was one of the greatest demonstrations of Christ's power. Jesus did not touch him. Jesus did not heal him. But Jesus saved him. And what I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, here is the hard question. If you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I want to be on your left or let one of my brothers be on your right, the question becomes, which side do you want? Because one is going to glory and the other is not. So Jesus says, it ain't mine to give. You have no idea what you're asking because I'm not going to choose which one of you will accept me 
and which one of you will reject me? I hope you're hearing this in your spirits. Grant us, Jesus, that I may sit on your right or on your left. One of us. Jesus' question, I think, then at that point should have been, okay, who wants to sit where? Where do you want to be? Because the fact of the matter is, I don't know if it was the thief on the right or if it was the thief on the left, but one of them did not make it to glory. So when Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking, he was right. Because it's not for him to give. But at the moment of decision, when you think that all is lost, pray to God that you're not on the right or on the left, but that you're in his heart. That's the place you want to be. And, and Jesus did this because the glory of Jesus, as I said, is the cross. And this is why James and John had no idea what they were asking. For it was at the cross where Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. It was at the cross where Jesus defeated sin, death, and the grave. It was at the cross where Jesus canceled a debt that you and I could never pay. It was at the cross where Jesus used his power to save you and me. And it was at the cross where the glory of God shone in the face of Jesus Christ. The disciples had agreed to something that they had no idea of what the implications were and what they were agreeing to. Can you drink the cup of which I'm drinking and be baptized with the baptism for which I am baptized? Yeah, we can. We're able. Really? Well, one day you're going to drink it. One day you're going to be baptized with it. But the fact of the matter is, for what you're asking, it's not mine to give. We all have a choice to make. We all have a decision to make. And the fact of the matter is, with everything that's going on around us in the world and with everything that's going on in your life, brothers and sisters, do not think that you need to finish first in whatever it is you are doing. The disciples wanted to finish first when Christ comes into his glory. But I tell you, many, many will say, Lord, Lord, and who have said, Lord, Lord, and they'll hear those dreadful words that I never knew you. I never knew you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to get you saved. Jesus finished the work on the cross so that you and I might be able to make the decision, the only decision about where we will be seated when he comes into his glory. This, my brothers and sisters, is what I mean by the seat of glory. And because of Jesus Christ, you and I will be on God's front row. And guess what? You need not be careful anymore what you are wishing for. That's the word. That's the message. 
check your heart. If you want to be the top of the top, if you want to be the best and everything you're doing in your life right now is designed to make you the best of the best, then you just might be outside of God's kingdom. For he will always receive the lowly of heart and those who will humble themselves, not seek for the greatness of sitting with God in the heavenly places, but being found and formed in the fashion of a servant. For Christ who gave up the majesty of heaven to become a man and walk among us showed us what it meant to be in his glory. This is the word. And my prayer is that you too will find yourself at the seat of glory. And may the Lord richly bless you, church, my beloved.